Okay, welcome along to another episode of the How I Caught the Wrestling Bug podcast. I'm your host, David Lovell. Took about a month a month off uh, from doing the show, but uh, back doing it again now. And I'd like to say that uh, someone who actually did join, join me before uh, for the podcast, but unfortunately there was, well, let's just say there were some technical difficulties on the recording end. And you can only hear him and you can't hear me which is probably a good thing as far as a lot of people are concerned but uh, we're gonna we're gonna try again tonight uh josiah mcdonald joins me josiah thanks for doing this again oh it's my pleasure david i'm glad to be here with you just to give people some sort of context as to who you are i mean you write for the observer don't you um for the wrestling observer website uh, yes, I do. Uh, I uh, recap shows for them. Uh, I don't have a strong weekly gig with them right now uh, because uh, NWA Power is not operating and every other gig is covered at the moment. Uh, but I fill in uh, when I can for whoever's there. And I uh, I also write for Daily DDT, uh, random articles, and I recap AEW Dynamite for them every week as well. Yeah, because when I did the the Brody Lee tribute show, I had uh, obviously Paul Fontaine and uh, Parker Klein, who also write for the Observer website, and and uh, I made sure to uh, to really put over the the piece you wrote about Brody uh, on the Daily DDT website. I thought it was a really great piece. I greatly appreciate that. Uh, I I really wanted to do it justice uh, with his career. Um, especially because I've been a fan of uh, Brody since his Chikara days. So uh, I wanted to make sure his story was told in a good way. Well, you definitely uh, definitely achieved that. Uh, yeah, it's a great piece. Um, so the first question I ask every single guest on this show is, uh, what is your earliest memory of wrestling? So uh, what would be the first uh, memory you have of, of, of watching wrestling? So... My my memories are a little bit clouded in that regard, uh, and, and it's, which is a bit strange for me because I <laughs> I remember stuff from when I was like uh, one and a half years old, like clear as day. Uh, but the when I first saw wrestling, the earliest memory that I can think of, although there might be others there, was uh, flipping through the channels when I was four years old, and it was in uh, it would have been 1989 or early 19. 19- 90 um and i i i it had to be the wwf because i I, the the way the ring and arena was set up it had to be uh, the wwf uh and uh it was two women's wrestlers and that's that's all i really remember from that like i don't remember who won i don't remember who they were i don't remember who was on commentary and i think i was looking for cartoons or something so i just saw it and went huh i don't know what this is change channel uh and at some point in there though like before or even by the time i went to school i uh i i I was certainly aware of uh, people like hulk hogan and randy savage and stuff like that so uh i don't really know exactly where that knowledge came from (laughs) because uh i really didn't start watching wrestling consistently until uh, 1994 um, and it may have been a little bit before that. It could have been 93. But uh, the real first first super clear memory I have is, uh, uh, you know, I'm not even really sure if it's an actual match that happened or my brain is just conflating something, but uh, it's something to do with Bret Hart. Bret Hart 
needing a jumper on superstars or something like that. And uh, Brett is Brett was my favorite wrestler growing up, and I kind of became a fan right in that Lex Express era. So uh, I remember a lot of the stuff surrounding that, like uh, Lex slamming Yokozuna uh, on the uh, on the ship and turning babyface uh, and all that, which is interesting as a kid, seeing the American patriotism stuff as a Canadian. Uh, but and anyways, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, that's kind of my earliest memories. So which wrestlers sort of capture your imagination? You, you say that Brett, I suppose because... Was it mainly because Brett was Canadian, do you think, that you sort of gravitated towards him? Uh, that was part of it. Uh, and, like, he was... He was so proudly Canadian. Like, it, it, it wasn't just a... Uh, you know, he's Canadian, really cool. But but it was like... You know, I'm, I'm here to represent my country in the United States as a... Uh, as a, an athlete people can look up to. But it wasn't even just that. Like, uh, Brett was very... His character was very, um, for lack of a better term, kid-friendly, in the sense that when you watched him, he was very much so wanted to be a role model for the little kids and and putting uh, his sunglasses on and those kinds of things. Like, he was the ultimate babyface. But at the same time, you watch him as an adult, and he still appeals to adults as well. It's just, he just comes across as a, a really nice guy who's extremely good at what he does. And uh, I think that's probably what attracted me to his character so much. Plus, he just looked darn cool. I mean, the, the, the black hair and the sunglasses and the awesome rock music when he comes out, it was just like, okay, this guy's the man. <laughs> yeah, and also making Pink look cool as well. Yes, yeah. yes. He, he made Pink very cool, <laughs> very cool, uh, which... It's it's so uh, funny to see it, but like you, you go back and it, it just the whole getup for him, the leather jacket, even down to the pink, black and pink tights and all that. It's like this guy, this guy just oozes cool, uh, kind of like Razor Ramon in some ways. But uh, I suppose Razor's cool was very different. Which other wrestlers sort of captured your imagination as a kid? Uh, well, obviously uh, we've talked about Brett, but you said what sort of wrestler? Uh, which, which other sort of wrestlers around oh. that time did, did you really sort of become a big fan of? Right, right. Uh, so, in the WWF, it was definitely Razor and Brett as my two favorites. Um, and I'm trying to think, when I discovered WCW, it was very quickly Sting. Um, Sting, and it's just, it's a bit of a coincidence that him and Brett have basically the same finisher. Uh, but Sting also looked really cool with the wild face paint and, you know, his yelling and bouncing all over the ring and uh, with the stinger splash and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and that was very, very exciting for me to watch. Uh, and, of course, I saw Macho Man in WCW, and I was like, I love Macho Man, uh, which is a common experience for many people from that era in the 80s. <laughs> Uh, and, and I was always a Macho Man guy over Hulk Hogan. I like Hulk Hogan, but I, I was a Macho Man guy. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think in WCW as well. Uh, Rey Mysterio captured me right away. Not just because he was small like me when I was a kid, uh, which is one of Brian Alvarez's theories about why kids love Rey Mysterio so much, is because he's small. Um, which I think is actually probably true. 
And I, I'm thinking that's probably why I liked him as well, because I was like, if he's if he can do all this stuff when he's that small, I can do anything I want. Um, and uh, but Ray was also just the masks, the costumes, uh, inspired by superhero stuff, and I was really into superheroes. Like uh, I love Spider-Man and Batman and Superman and all that. And so uh, Ray Mysterio was also one that I, I uh, grabbed onto, and I uh, I grabbed onto Chris Jericho a lot as well. Um, even when he turned heel, I was uh, like, I was like, I'm supposed to boo this guy, but he's so funny. I like watching him. <laughs> uh, and I and I was like nine years old at the time, and you know, I was very much so cheer the cheer the baby faces, boo the heels, uh, which really uh, I still like doing. But um, yeah, Jericho, when he turned heel, I was so entertained by how ridiculous he was. Like, uh, I, I never forgot the armbar promo. <laughs> in WCW, <laughs> and uh, like I, I probably that time I was by, uh, like eleven, but when he was going on with the promo and just constantly saying armbar, I was losing it laughing watching as a kid because I knew how uh, how ridiculous it was. So uh, yeah, uh, probably him as well. Um, I have a soft spot for Goldberg. Uh, I have a soft spot for Shawn Michaels. Um, soft spot for Ric Flair. So those those are kind of all of those guys who stood out to me. I, I loved a lot of those guys. And what was the first live show you attended? So uh, I actually have a story about that as well. Uh, but it was a it was a house show uh, in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and uh, it was in 1995. Uh, and it was literally days before Nitro debuted, WCW Nitro, but it was a WWF show, and, uh, I, well, I was there, and I remember the main event, I believe, if I look it up, uh, I think it was Lex Luger and someone against Yokozuna and Owen Hart, but, uh, I looked it up previously, and it turns out that was one of the last nights Lex Luger had in the WWF. I saw one of his last matches in the company, uh, and uh, I do remember on that card it was also um, uh, Sid versus Diesel in the middle of the card. Uh, the main event was Bret Hart versus Hakushi. I remember that, uh, and uh, yeah, D- Diesel defended the WWF title against Sid. And that was. I suppose I was going to say that I guess that was in the middle of the card, and, and Brett was in the main event because it was in it was in Canada. Yes, most yeah. definitely, and uh, and really part of it too is um, as much as Diesel was the champion, Brett was still the guy. Oh yeah, absolutely. The company at that point, uh, he he was the draw. He was the reason people showed up often to the house shows. Uh, although the WWF didn't always do tours with Brett in Canada, they had him tour Europe one time. While the uh, the their B crew toured uh, toured Canada, and I, I can't imagine the house shows did very well without Brett. Um, but yeah, I, I still remember it uh, at the Halifax Forum, and uh, which is an older arena in Halifax. Uh, it seats about about five thousand people. Um, and my dad used to go to uh, old Atlantic Grand Prix wrestling shows in that building, so he took me, which was a really cool experience for him to be back there but with the WWF and a kind of a new generation of fans uh, I remember um, 
one thing that sticks out about the show is uh, Ted DiBiase being on the floor in Sid's corner, and like him being so animated as as a heel manager, getting getting the crowd to uh, have a lot of heat for Sid and get Diesel cheered, and he was great at that. Yeah, he's quite <laughs> underrated in that regard. I mean, obviously everyone thinks of Ted, Ted DiBiase as as such a phenomenal worker in the ring, which of course he was, but he was also a very good manager as well. Absolutely phenomenal manager, uh, and I mean, I remember watching uh, an episode of uh, Raw or Superstars. It's where um, you know uh, DiBiase's on the outside of the ring with his with his man, and Sean jumps over the top rope and takes him out with a tope, But DiBiase's back is returned, and then Sean stands next to him and puts his shoulder or his elbow on DiBiase's shoulder, and you know, and DiBiase just thinks it's his guy, and then he turns and it's Sean, and he jumps backwards, and he starts flipping out. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, like, great quality, quality stuff. Uh, and, yeah, DiBiase was a phenomenal, phenomenal heel. Uh, and uh, just a fantastic manager. So, uh, he, he, uh, he was a highlight of that show, when, when I think back on it. Uh, outside of... Uh, Brett and uh, Hakushi, and I remember Diesel beating Sid with a schoolboy. You know, the, <laughs> the, the infamous schoolboy. Uh, and, anyways, uh, there was other matches on the card. Um, nothing, nothing, none of them really stood out that much, but uh, that is my first live event that I went to. I guess when people think of 1995, they, they think of it as being quite a bad year for the WWF anyway I mean it, it, it doesn't you know when you look back on that year it wasn't the best time period and a lot of the blame goes on on, on Kevin Nash which is not really fair I mean p- people bang on about him being the the lowest drawing world champion and all that but really the business was just down and I think it it needed WCW you know going live every Monday with Nitro to really give the WWF the kick they needed to, to turn things around yeah, it, and really, it, it's easy to play, like, yeah, Nash is the lowest drawing champion in the history of the WWF, there's no question about that, and so so as far as his championship run goes, it was a failure, but it doesn't but help. But look at who I had to work with as well, though, exactly, I mean, Mabel. Exactly, <laughs> like, like he was he was booked against a feud with Mabel, yeah. like, you could have put him in feuds, you could have uh, pulled the trigger on Shawn Michaels and moved him up the card quicker. Uh, I mean, Shawn Michaels was ready to be, to be in the main event in 1993. Uh, uh, you know, you, you could have gone all in with feuds with Brett. Like, the, the, there was lots of little different things they can do. Heck, a, a feud with The Undertaker probably would have been better for Diesel. And, and having Diesel as a top babyface, I know Vince wanted him to be Hogan, but Nash should have been a heel. Like, Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, he, he would have been much better as a heel champion uh, with uh, Brett or Shawn or Razor chasing. Or one, two, three, kid. Like he he would have some great matches with Sean Waltman because Waltman was great. Like move those guys up the card, and who cares that Waltman was small? He was really good. I loved watching him as a kid. I would have bought a, a feud with one, two, three, kid versus uh, Diesel as a babyface one, two, three, kid uh, instead of him joining Money Inc. Um, like I, I would have. Uh, it would you could have made. A better effort than what you give him. Instead, Vince saw, "Oh, he's big," and uh, <laughs> booked Mabel against him. So, uh, which you know, I don't know why he was so determined to make Mabel a star, <laughs> but no. here we no. are. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, at any point, did you... Did you ever stop watching wrestling or, or, or fall out of love with it at any point? So there were several instances where I stopped watching a few times. Um, so I stopped watching the WWF in 1997. Uh, and you can probably guess as to why. Because <laughs> <laughs> the screw job. Uh, but even before then, the product was becoming very adult-oriented. And... Uh, my parents, I was too young, I was like 11, 11 or 12, and they didn't want me watching that, and I, understandably so. Um, and WCW at that point was the Honda promotion, and I was watching WCW both, I was watching them both. Uh, and WCW was more family friendly, uh, despite delivering exceptional storylines. Like, it goes to show PG isn't the problem with wrestling. Uh, it's You can be PG and still have a great, great, great show. And Nitro was very much so a PG show at that, at that point. But it was awesome. Uh, all you have to do is have compelling storylines and characters. It doesn't, And you don't have to be limited. I think that a lot of people use PG as an excuse uh, for why the WWF or WWE sucks now. Um it's not the PG isn't the problem; it's the booking. It always comes back to the booking, and the WWF at its peak in in the eighties was PG. So uh, I, I don't buy that nonsense. Um, I actually prefer it when my wrestling is family friendly because you can create new fans with kids. But, uh, anyways, uh, that's a beside the point. Uh, so I I watched there in WCW until 1999 when Russo came in, and again, WCW became adult-oriented, and my parents decided I was too young to see this, uh, and I'm trying to think, how old was I in 99? I 13. I would, I would have turned 13 at the end of 99, so, right. uh, or, uh, sorry, would have turned 14 at the end of 99, so I was 13 <laughs> years old. Um, and so I stopped. I stopped watching. And I did not watch wrestling again until WrestleMania 17. Uh, outside of the occasional time, my dad would turn it on and we'd watch a match or something like that uh, on Raw. Because I remember um, seeing clips of when Paul Bearer told Kane he was his father. I remember that. Somehow I woke up in the night and that was on the TV. Because I think my dad was just watching TSN, uh, our sports channel here. And Rob was on, and I come out, and I hear Paul Bearer, Okay, oh, I'm your father! <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it was. I, I'll never... I, I, saw, I saw that segment, and I was like, Whoa! That's kind of significant to the storyline! <laughs> that was a great... That was a great storyline. I mean, it got so convoluted, but initially, that was a really great storyline they told of Undertaker and Kane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, and somehow I was aware of it because probably my friends were telling me about it. But uh, I mean, that was I was watching WCW then. But how did I know? Of course, I knew about Stone Cold Steve Austin and the rise of the Rock and stuff like that. But, anyways, uh, so you really weren't watching at a time when everyone else was. So you 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 were watching it when you know no one was interested back in '95. But '97, '98, yeah. when it was really taking off and really hot, you, you weren't watching it at that point. Well, I, w I wasn't watching the WWF. But, but you're I was watching, watching WCW. WCW, yeah. 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 
Yeah, I was very much so uh, involved in WCW. Uh, and so I, I saw pretty much everything WCW did from that point. Uh, and, and that's probably the, why you got a soft spot for Goldberg. Yes. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Uh, like, he, there was nobody like him back uh, at that time. Even in the WWF, Austin, we, the comparisons to Austin are there because they're both just big stars and they're both big, bald men. But, uh, like, Austin is not at all like Goldberg in terms of character. Uh, they're, they're dramatically different. Draw, uh, they were both mega draws for different reasons, is what I'm trying to say. Um, but yeah, I do have a soft spot for him. Uh, and I, I will never forget going to Survivor Series 2016 in Toronto. Uh, me and uh, two friends flew out for that. And we watched NXT the night before, and I saw probably one of the best matches I've ever seen live in uh, uh, DIY versus, um, was it The Revival? I think it was The Revival. I think it was The Revival too, yeah. Yeah, oh. in, a, in the two out of three falls match. Yeah. And just such an unbelievable match live. Like, yeah, that's one of <laughs> that's one of the best tag matches. I've, that's one of the best tag team matches I think I've ever seen. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think uh, until I saw, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm going to probably make some WWE fans angry, but until I saw uh, the Young Bucks versus the Golden Lovers, or the Young Bucks versus Omega and Page, yeah, or the Young Bucks versus FTR a few months ago. <laughs> I'm seeing a trend here, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I, yeah, it's right up there with those matches in terms of quality, um, and yeah, uh, that. but then I saw Goldberg versus Lesnar the next night, and I, I met Chris Jericho uh, earlier in that day as well, Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens, uh, and they were beyond kind, uh, went to a live talks as Jericho, and uh, there was a... A really sweet moment in the talk is Jericho during the question and answer, because uh, you know, at that time Jericho and Owens were the best friends, and uh, a little girl asked if she could be the third member of the best friends, <laughs> <laughs> and it was so cute. And Jericho and Kevin Owens, well, they were, of course, and they brought her up on stage and took pictures with her and gave her a hug, and and then uh, and then they said we're going to replace Braun Strowman in the Survivor Series match with you. Because you could probably wrestle. <laughs> it, was, it was so funny. We were all laughing at Jer Jericho, and then we were like, "We." And then they both said, "We really do love the guy. We're just, we're just, we're just messing around." But, um, anyways, uh, Goldberg Lesnar that that night. I'm going kind of stream of consciousness here. I apologize. Um, Goldberg versus Lesnar. Uh, I got so pumped because I always worry because I thought the match, if it went longer than five minutes was going to be a disaster Like because I was so worried it would be a repeat of what they did at Wrestlemania but I, I, I was certain that they learned from the past mistake and uh, I was very excited for Goldberg, his promos leading up to it the, the way he carried himself it was just like, this guy's the greatest babyface, just so great and uh, Lesnar was the perfect heel. And then he spears Lesnar, picks him up, hits the jackhammer. I'm out of my seat, jumping 
up and down. If I if I have a, a high jump in front of me, I probably would have cleared it. Um, I was screaming at the top of my lungs, and then I and then when he hit the one, two, three, I, I uh, like right after the spear, I went no. No, and, and I looked at my friend and I went, he's winning, he's going to beat him right now, he's squashing him. And, because I've seen it a thousand times before with uh, in WCW. And then he hits the jackhammer and pins him one, two, three, and I'm, I'm like, I'm, it's like I'm ten years old again. Uh, and and yeah, I was out of my seat, screaming at the top of my lungs. Uh, as we were leaving the arena, people were singing Goldberg's name. It, it was received very well uh, in uh, uh, in there. There was a few a few people who who were not happy. Well, with yeah, him. I suppose because some Canadians will resent Goldberg for ending for Brett's, career. Brett's career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I uh, look accidents happen in wrestling. Like Ed Goldberg hasn't really hurt anyone else. Except for in that match with Taker, where they both got. But like, it happens. It's it's wrestling, and yeah, it sucks that he ended Brett's career. It does, uh, but I, I can't hold it against the guy. It, it, it's just people get hurt in wrestling. There's no, there's not really much you can do about it. And I'm not saying Goldberg was the safest of workers because he wasn't. But uh, I'm not gonna hold it against a guy who was put in a position probably before he was ready to be there in terms of uh, work. But again, part of what made Goldberg so awesome was that he was just like a, for lack of a better term, all his matches were a disaster. Like, you go in there and someone is going to get hit hard. <laughs> and it was great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, his his uh, matches were a train wreck, but not but not necessarily in like a, holy crap, I can't believe these two guys they don't know how to work everything is botched kind of way. It's just that he goes at such an intense pace that you never really know what what's going to happen, and uh, I think that's part of the attraction with Goldberg. But uh, seeing him beat Lesnar live that was received very very well in that building. <laughs> Because no one expected it, and and no, because uh, sorry, because Brock had been protected so well. You know, obviously he was a guy that ended the streak, and yeah, you know, I I think apart from Taker beating him that one time, I think it was a Hell in a Cell match. I want to say, um, I think that was the only loss he'd had between. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was the one where uh, Taker cheated to win. Yeah, and, and as and as as Lesnar sort of um, fading away, doesn't he like flip the bird or something? Yes, yeah. that's exactly what he does. Yeah, and uh, and Lesnar came across as like just awesome <laughs> in that <laughs> match because that that was a great way to go out. That was Steve Austin Bret Hart style, uh, passing out uh, with absolute defiance before before the match is over. But. Uh, yeah, Lesnar was super well protected at that point, and uh, so Goldberg just crushing him was a delight. And, and really, that that whole run for Goldberg was fantastic. That was probably one of the best returns ever in the history of wrestling. I, I think that they did everything right, because when, when he came in in like 2003, they did everything wrong. Even down to like yes. changing his music, 
you know even a little thing like changing his music i think really hurt the character and obviously putting on goldoss's wig and all the stupid stuff they did but yeah they booked him perfectly in 2016 yeah yeah like i i when uh when they announced he was coming back and i figured he would be after the 2k deal uh what they aired that ad that ad was awesome uh 2K did a lot of un- underrated things to get some guys into WWE, but um, I think that was booked very, very well. And you go back to his 2003 run, like yeah, like you said, that little change in his music when when they were bringing him back, I was like, I hope they bring back his WCW music and not that stupid WWE theme, because that that theme, I I mean, whatever, but it's not his theme. It's not Goldberg, and as soon as his music hit on Raw when he came back and cut his promo, well, maybe he has one jackhammer left, uh, and he's coming out, and they got Big E yelling in the corner as he walks by, <laughs> Big E jumping up and down and marking out. It was like, okay, this this is really good. The, uh, and I will praise WWE to the ends of the earth when they do something right, and this was absolutely 1,000% done right. Yeah. Uh, they made They went back to what worked, and they booked him like he was in WCW. Which goes against what Vince would normally do and, and what he did the first time around because any time anyone comes from a different territory or a different company, they have to be changed into what Vince's vision of them is. And, and obviously Sting is maybe the biggest example of that, um, the way that Sting was booked when he came in. They, they changed his music. They... They try to brand him as the vigilante. Yeah, because he can't be uh, the icon because Shawn Michaels is the icon. Right, yeah. right. And, and eventually, thank God, they give up on that. And they just call him the icon sting. <laughs> <laughs> or they call him the showstopper. Uh, or not the showstopper, sorry. Uh, uh, they let him say showtime and stuff like yeah. that. You know, uh, they, they, let him, they let him be the franchise of WCW. Even though... Um, I hate what they did in that feud with Triple H to make it look like it was WCW versus the WWF when Sting in his promo said, this isn't about WCW, it's dead. This is about justice. And, you know, and... Uh, anyways. Um, I can go on about how they ruined Sting uh, or misused him. Uh, and it was really unfortunate how his... Uh, well, until recently, and uh, his career ended with the injury with Seth Rollins. And that match was really good up until that point. Um, yeah, that was, the am... best. that was the best use of Sting. Yeah, when he came, when they had the uh, unveiling of the statue. Of, and it was of, just Sting there. And yeah. Sting was stood. That was probably the best moment of his whole run with, with the company. And like I said, the Rollins match was, it was a good match. Yeah, it was a really solid match until the, uh, until Sting got hurt. And uh, I cannot tell you how worried I was when I saw him take that powerbomb oh, dynamite. Yeah. And then it comes out afterwards he's been 100% cleared to take bumps. And I, I felt relieved. I'm still a little worried about him. But on dynamite, when he ran wild and uh, just last night, uh, as we were recording this, and took out Brian Cage and hit the stinger splash, and him and Darby did their thing with Darby coming down on the zip line. Uh, to attack Cage and uh, and um, Ricky Starks, it was fantastic. It was easily one of the best things Sting has done 
since his WWE run, probably the best uh, since he left TNA. Probably the best thing he's done since he left TNA. That angle was awesome, and now I'm really looking forward to that street fight. <laughs> yeah, because I, I wasn't really into it up until this week. I, I wasn't a fan of what they were doing. I, you know, Sting just coming out and not really saying anything and, and Taz and, interrupting him Taz interrupting yeah and then the whole ridiculous you know thing they did with um, Darby getting pulled by the car and Sting just rushes out and he's, he's going to call them out next week he's going to wait a week to you know do something about it and it, it really wasn't doing it for me but yeah that, that angle last night has really sold me on that match now I really want to see it that sort of brings us on to the next question in some respects because the next question is what shows do you watch now? What are your viewing habits now? So you, you watch Dynamite every week. Yes, uh, I love I love AEW Dynamite. Um, it reminds me a lot of the wrestling from when I was a kid. I, I could do without the the swearing they do quite a bit um, because I think it, you could still have the same quality product without the swearing. Um, but because I am, I don't want it to be a barrier for kids. You know, parents might not want their kids to watch it if there's a lot of swearing. But with that being said, uh, they're doing really well in the young audience, so what do I know? So, <laughs> uh, and truthfully, it really, if you watch the show, outside of the language, it is actually a very PG wrestling show, for the most part. Like, you're not going to get any uh, uh, angles like Lana or Bobby Lashley there which was outside of being a horrible storyline was actually really offensive in some ways <laughs> uh, or you're not going to get Ric Flair and Lacey with Ric Flair getting Lacey pregnant or whatever happened with that you're, you're not going to get storylines like that on Dynamite that are, are unnecessarily pushing the envelope like that you might get a little blood here and there you might get a little bit of swearing but I would rather my kid watch that if I had a kid uh, then watch, uh, then watch with some of the stuff WWE's doing with their with their what they view as edgy storylines. Because whenever they do edgy, it's usually really bad. Um, and I will say to uh, Dynamite as a whole, though, um, it's it's a very easy to watch wrestling show most weeks, even when it's not a very good episode. Uh, I rarely do I go, you know what, I I did not think that was really good. Or or I, or even more, I thought that was terrible. That that happened I hated the wedding. The wedding with Ki, uh, Kip and uh and uh Miro. Yeah. Yeah, uh Kip and Penelope's wedding with uh with Miro and uh, Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy. I like the ending of it. James Mitchell uh, was I mean Jim Mitchell was obviously the highlight of it, but yeah, it it wasn't yeah. uh it wasn't like, great. <laughs> all, like all, all the performers played their role well. And Miro was awesome. Uh especially when he started singing What is Love with the audience. <laughs> uh, that that made me smile because it was like Miro was clearly having the time of his life, so that that brought me some enjoyment. And I did like the the uh, handcuffing of the ankles of uh, of Miro leading into Orange Cassidy popping out of the cake. But like like I think the overall like all the elements for it to be good were there. It just didn't come together. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, I didn't like that angle. I was 
I was getting a little bit frustrated with the same thing happening every week with Sting. Uh, it was like, just let him talk. He's a good talker. Stop interrupting him with Taz. Let's find out what the heck is going on with him and Darby. And I think we finally have an answer to that now, after after this week. Uh, it was clear there was some sort of student-mentor relationship going on, but uh, Sting driving the car in Darby's video and Darby being dragged along in the body bag, and then Sting opening it up and Darby sitting up wearing a kind of a Sting motif face paint and smiling was a nice little way to say them dragging Darby away in that car with the, in the body bag uh, didn't mess with him too badly because he just does it for fun. Uh, like so, I liked how they brought it together in the end. But so I, I'm not. Uh, AEW is not immune from criticism. They are not a perfect wrestling show. Um, but no wrestling show is. No. And but like you said, it's a very easy two hours to watch on a Wednesday night. Yeah, it's super easy, and I, and this is the the best part about it is when they start building a story, I know I'm going to get a payoff. Even even if the payoff sucks, like the Miro Penelope. Uh, or Kip and Penelope wedding, Miro, Chuck Taylor, all involved. They at least paid it off. Like they didn't drop it. They they promised it was going to happen, and then it happened. So, uh, it's the same thing even with um, because the another another promotion I watch a lot is New Japan, and the evil run with the titles in this over the summer was not very was not received well, and to be honest, it wasn't very good. But they didn't just drop it in the middle of it and forget about it three weeks later. They follow through, finish their story, and then moved on to something else. Uh, did I like the payoff? No, but at least it was a complete story. They're not going to just drop stuff. Uh, and so I can, I can tolerate the occasional story that I don't like as long as they finish it and move on to something else. <laughs> but... If you start something and then drop it two weeks later, uh, like why am I watching? Do you watch what, any? What? Sorry, do you watch any WWE at all now? No. No. Nope. Not a bit. Uh, I, I did watch the Royal Rumble because uh, some friends wanted me to watch it with them, um, which was actually a pretty good show for the most part. It, it still had its frustrating WWE elements to it, but I actually liked the Royal Rumble. Um, I Is thought that was. Is the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, are those the kind of shows you do typically sort of come back for every year, though? Uh, I'm not going to get to watch WrestleMania this year. I, I have no intention of watching it. Um, that would make the Royal Rumble this year. Uh, before that, the last show I watched was WrestleMania before that. The, in the, more of a curiosity to see what they would do with the empty arena. And... Uh, they were still trying to figure out what they wanted to do with that. And I'm very glad I ended up watching it for at least night one with the Boneyard match. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, that, that was awesome. Um, a very fitting end to Undertaker's career. And uh, AJ was the perfect villain for it. Um, really probably the highlight of Gall Gallows and Anderson's run there as well. Uh, even though they were basically got thrown off a building and died. But... <laughs> I guess that's how they were written off television. Uh, I, I think they appeared on TV after that, but anyways, beside the point. Uh, and really, before that, I watched the Royal Rumble before that, the year before. 
the last big show the WWE really did because they had that 50,000 people. Was it the Alamo Dome they were in? Or something um, like that? I think, yeah, I think it may have been, yeah. yeah. First time there since 97. Um, was it Sean and Sid? Uh, yeah, and then before that, it was a Hell in a Cell where The Fiend and Seth Rollins... Oh, that's enough to be able to get off watching wrestling again. That, that, <laughs> stopped, that stopped me from watching like for months I I was like I don't even want to know what's going on uh, I, I still kept up on it because I, I listened to all the observer radio stuff but I was like I'm not I'm done every and, element uh, sorry every element was was just bad I mean even down to having the red tint for the entire match and of course the, the, the cell being red oh you couldn't see anything and that was yeah. on TV I know <laughs> No, it, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. Oh. And it killed Seth Rollins as, as a babyface. Destroyed him as a babyface. And now he's doing this horrifically terrible Messiah gimmick. But, anyways, uh, when they have an opportunity to bring him back as a babyface, uh, which is what they did the Well, they had a chance time. They had a chance just now when he, when he came back after, you know, um, Becky had the baby. and they didn't Yeah, take yeah that, that's what I'm referring yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, because, like... There was a real chance to reboot Seth Rollins and get him away from that stupid Messiah gimmick and let him be just a normal babyface. And nope, they had him do the same stuff over again. He would have been, he would have been just, sorry, he would have been a great opponent for Roman as well right now. They need top babyfaces. If they're not going to push Daniel Bryan and have him lose to everybody, uh, you have to go with someone like Seth. And their idea is probably, well, we're going to turn him babyface, but we have to have him heal first, which is exactly what they did when he came back from that injury um, uh, a few years ago. And it was like, how have you not learned? Just start new. He's been gone for months. Let him come back fresh and new as the old Seth Rollins and forget the the other thing ever happened. Um, but But then again... People would say, "Oh, yeah, but you want continuity and stuff like that." Okay, yeah, he can talk about how he he went astray and had time to reconsider the way he thought because, man, he missed the fans or whatever. Like, it's not really hard to come up with a storyline reason to turn him. And, anyways, uh, Edge is your top babyface. I love Edge. I adore Edge. I think he's amazing. I'm glad he's probably beating Roman for the title. I, I like. I have no issues with him being in that main event, but it does highlight a problem with their inability to create new baby faces. And it's very, very frustrating. And I can contrast that with John Moxley last night on Dynamite. And I don't know if you've seen Dynamite yet, but... I haven't seen the whole show. I know I know more or less what happened. I've seen clips. I, I, I watch the show on Friday night. We get it Friday night here in the UK. Right. I, I usually watch it then. Uh, I actually, I, I use AEW Plus myself to watch it live. Uh, I was watching it live on on Fight on the on the Fight app, but obviously I that means uh, watching it from like one till three in the morning here in the UK. Yeah, so way yeah. too late. Yeah, uh, you'd be fortunate if you have a a working schedule that allows you to do that. But for a lot of people, it wouldn't, of course. Um, although uh, you could watch it on demand, I suppose, with that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I, technically, AEW Plus is not available in Canada, so I, I use uh, a VPN to pay for it uh, to watch it because I, I don't want to 
it, I would have to subscribe to a gigantic cable package package to get TSN here, and I would rather pay ten bucks for a VPN and five dollars for AEW Plus than pay two hundred dollars for a cable package. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, I so I do watch Dynamite live every week. Uh, but John Moxley, he came when he came out at the start of the show, he completely squashed uh, Ziggler's brother Ryan Nemeth. And just just annihilated him in the match. It was delightful. Uh, and then he grabs Mike, and he starts talking about how uh, how he's going to head into the what what the barbed wire match, the exploding barbed wire match, makes him feel. And I'm not a death match man. I don't like death matches. But holy cow! After that promo, I want to see this match. He was an unbelievable babyface in this promo. Just about how he was going to put it all on the line for the title. He talked about how every, since the day he woke up after losing the title, he has decided he's going to crawl through landmines and everything else he needs to climb through. Maybe literally to uh, landmines and barbed wire was, was his words uh, to get to get that title back. And uh, he ended the promo by saying, you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe this will be my last draw. Maybe I will go into this match and my career will be ended. But if if my career is going to go out, this is the way to do it. And he drops the mic and goes, and I'm like, I want him to win! <laughs> <laughs> and I love Kenny Omega. I don't think... I honestly don't think it's time to take I, the belt yeah, off Kenny. It's not. it's not the time. I, I think but, Kenny's going to win. But I, I, I don't... I'm not a fan of this of this type of match. I'm I'm not into it. I'm very much on the same lines as um Paul Fontaine. I'm sure you've seen what Paul said about this match. I sort yes. of I sort of share those same those same feelings, but at the same time, John Moxley is so damn compelling to watch. And uh I, I he, you know, he like I say, he, that promo really sells you on it. Um, he, he he's such an unbelievably good babyface that I want to see him beat Kenny Omega, even though Kenny Omega is one of my favorite wrestlers. And, and uh, as I was writing in my recap for the show last night on Daily DDT, I think John Moxley is my favorite wrestler right now. <laughs> and and that's saying something because Hiroshi Tanahashi and Okada were like in that position. Uh, but I suppose we'll get that out later with the, who's my favorite wrestler right now. Um, but I, I watched that promo and I was like, I would not be angry if he, they put the title back on him, because this guy's the hottest babyface in wrestling right now. He, like everything he does makes me want to believe in him, and that's that's what I like with wrestling. Uh, you get a character or a storyline where you want the hero to win and you want the villain to lose, and and I can emotionally separate from it and go, Kenny Omega is one of the greatest wrestlers probably ever. Mm. Um, Sorry to make the the WWE stands angry, but he is. Um, that's just reality, and or the Cornette stands. But let's not get into them. Uh, but Omega is just—he's an exceptionally talented worker. But I want to see him lose this match because they're both so good at what they're doing. Omega is so good at making me hate him, and Moxley is so good at making me want to see him win. Uh, and uh, just exceptional stuff. Um, 
And that's the kind of wrestling I like, because it's giving me a storyline to invest in. And I'm going to be buying the pay-per-view for this match in a style of wrestling I don't like. So that should tell you how effective this was. <laughs> we come on now to what I call rapid-fire questions, but yeah, it, it really it really isn't rapid-fire at all. But uh, favourite wrestler of all time? Now, I'm going to guess it, it, it's Brett, or w- would that not be the case? It is absolutely Brett Hart, for sure. For sure. Um, I, I kind of have categories. I go, my favorite of all time, it's Brett. And Sting and Ric Flair are probably up there as well. Um, just because, how can you not love Ric Flair? When you go back and watch watch his work, watch his promos, watch how he put together his matches, it's just, yeah, he's, he's the best. Uh, and I love Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels is up there, too. Um... And I never really had anyone, though, enter that Brett category for a really long time. I, I loved AJ Styles, I loved Samojo, CM Punk, Brian Danielson uh, in their Ring of Honor runs. Um, but I never really... Uh, like, I never really found a guy who captured me quite the way Brett did since my childhood. And that's very hard to do. But uh, the guy who did that in the modern era for me was Sh- uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. Um... When I started watching New Japan in 2015, I I came to the G1. That was my first real dive into New, New Japan. I've seen matches and stuff here and there and the occasional show uh, for years, going back to going back 20 years. Uh, back in the days when you, if you wanted to find a match in Japan, you either had to tape trade or download it of uh, shoddy file sharing co- uh, programs. <laughs> on the internet, like people, kids these days do not know how hard it was to watch good wrestling from all over the world. <laughs> uh, and I'm sounding like an old man saying that I'm only 35, but uh, I was watching the G1, and I went in for AJ Styles, and partway through the, the tournament, I started getting really excited for Shinsuke Nakamura's matches. And I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, I'm cheering for Nakamura to win this whole thing, not AJ anymore. It's like, I, this guy has just got me. Uh, it was down to his theme music, his entrance, his charisma, the way he wrestled, the, his mannerisms in the ring. It was just like, this guy's the greatest. And uh, really, probably within a year after that, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Naito were added to those lists too. And Okada, of course. Um I mean, Okada's the best wrestler I've ever seen. Uh, in, in terms of pure in-ring ability, I don't think I've ever seen anyone as good as Okada. Uh, his run with the IWGP title was legendary. Uh, I The most recent run, anyways, where he held it for like a year and a half and was undefeated except for like one or two matches uh, that were non-title matches. Um and every single match was better than the last uh, until he lost it to Omega. And uh, that was pretty outstanding uh, just to see that whole run. So I would put Okada in that category too, but uh, Bret Hart is my favorite of all time. He, he just had... I don't think it's actually a coincidence that my favorite wrestlers tend to structure their matches the way Bret did and tell their stories the way Bret did. Uh, they use different moves and di- different 
it's different styles, of course, but the actual structure of pacing of the matches and things like that, you watch a Hiroshi Tanahashi match or an Okada match, and you are going to get the same style storytelling that Brett did. And I think there's a reason why I gravitate towards that kind of wrestling. It's it's a very, um, very purposeful way of, of um, structuring your matches. And uh, I'll never forget uh, the interview Hiroshi Tanahashi did with Dave Meltzer. And he asked him, do you see yourself as an artist or an athlete? Those kinds of things. He asked Tanahashi. Tanahashi said, I see myself as a storyteller. I would say Bret Hart would probably say the same thing. Absolutely, yeah. I I think Bret sort of... He always sort of likened his matches to like how a film director directs a film isn't it? I, th- I think i've heard him use that sort of comparison before yeah yeah and that's a really good comparison because and but and the way they do it is so organic like everything makes sense in their matches uh from the selling because the, the selling is so important uh, you watch if you go watch an Okada match. Everyone could say, uh, and I remember people saying this. You know, the guys Okada wrestled were better than he was. But then you go and watch the match and watch what Okada is actually doing. It's he's making them look good by his selling. He's making them look good by by timing everything just right to maximize how his opponent looks, so that by the time he finally wins, he looks like an absolute monster in the ring. And so it gets both of them over. And there's a, there's a, Brian Alvarez used to talk about this all the time. People, people always talked about how the guys who wrestle Kurt Angle, oh my gosh, they're so great. Well, there's a consistent thread in all those great (laughs) Kurt Angle matches, and it isn't his opponents. It's him. It's the same thing with Okada. The matches he are in, he's in that are great are often because he's the guy who's telling the story. And it's the same with Tanahashi. So you put him and Okada and Tanahashi in the ring together, you're going to get a five-star classic almost every single time. Even now, with Tanahashi slowing down a bit. Um, I, I just really like the way they structure their matches and the way they pace it, the way they tell their story. The selling always gets me absorbed in what's happening. Like I, I get very invested and want to see, want to see this match come to a conclusion. And and the great part with Okada too, is I never know when he's going to hit that drop kick. I, I almost sometimes I can get guess when he's going to hit it, but it's such a simple move that he makes his high spot in the match, and he always hits it at just the right time to pop the audience. Uh, it's really outstanding to watch from a a psychological perspective in terms of how they tell their story. And uh, Tanahashi always does it with the high fly flows and the sling blade. He always gets it at just the right time. Uh, And I'm really amazed by how good those guys are, and I would love... If Brett was in his prime, I would have loved to see him wrestle those guys. Because uh, just imagine the match they could pull. And Shawn Michaels, too, to be honest, against these guys. Uh, heck, Ric Flair as well. Like they, they would, they would have unbelievable matches with these guys and fit in in any era. Speaking of matches, what, what's your favorite match of all time? 
so this probably won't come as a surprise, but uh, it's Kenny Omega and uh, Kazuchika Okada or, and their uh, fourth match, the match where Omega won the title, the 65-minute two or three falls match. That's my favorite match I've ever seen. Um, Young Bucks against Omega and Page is way up there. That's pretty darn close. Uh, there's there's a common thread in my favorite matches of all time, uh, especially recently. Um, it usually involves Omega or Okada, usually, <laughs> in, in some form. So that should tell you who, who, are, <laughs> who are the best workers in the world, I guess. Uh, and I, it's funny, talking about the favorite wrestlers, I should have included Omega on that list. Like, he's up there, too, of course. Uh, and... Uh, I've had a recent revelation that John Moxley's there too. So, um, but yeah, I, I would go the probably Omega Okada four, and if I had to pick one outside of that, probably uh, Bret Hart versus Steve Austin in WrestleMania thirteen. Yeah, that's that's a common that's a common answer, Bret Bret and Austin at WrestleMania thirteen. But um, you, you mentioned being a fan of Ric Flair. Um, do you, are you a fan? You must be a fan of the the, the Steamboat. Flair matches. Oh yes. Do you think oh, that yes. Omega Omega Ricardo is kind of like a almost like a modern day equivalent of that? Yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. I think in in many ways Okada is the modern day Flair. Um, he he doesn't have like the promo ability that Flair has, but he's not a bad promo. Like he, when he, if you watch his subtitled Japanese promos, they're very good, uh, and I. I Another note on the promo thing. Um, I saw him versus Jay White live in Madison Square Garden. And that's probably the best match I've ever seen live, in, in person. Uh, there's probably maybe one or two local matches here, too, that I would put in that similar category. Although, uh, admi admittedly, I'm biased because my friends were in the match. Like, I'm, I'm friends with local wrestlers here. Uh, but the... Uh, Okada J. White was absolutely unbelievable to watch live. And I bought every near fall, and I was just... All of us in that arena were on the edge of our seats begging Okada to, to finally vanquish Jay White. Which speaks to Jay White's ability as a heel, and he's even better at it now. Um, and he's only 27, so he's still getting better. And Okada's only 32, so that's terrifying how good those guys are, and they still have room to get better. Um, but when Okada hit that final Raymaker and got the 1-2-3, uh, I jumped up out of my seat. I was with a friend. We were so happy. People around us were screaming. We, uh, I was fortunate that I had... Uh, I was seated right in front of a giant section of Japanese fans that I am assuming flew over for the event. Uh, and they were right behind me. They were speaking in Japanese the whole time, and, and so we got a really genuine New Japan experience. This wasn't just a New Japan America show. This this was a real New Japan show uh, with Japanese fans there around me, and it was very neat. Uh, but all of us were applauding and jumping up and down. Me and my friend were hugging each other, <laughs> and, uh, and then Okada gets up afterwards and cuts this promo, and he goes... And he, it's in English, so it, it, but it didn't make it on the pay-per-view feed. Uh, they cut the feed before then. Uh, and he's talking, and he's just like, I'm so happy to be here. 
I'm so happy to be champion again. I love you all, and I will be <laughs> back again, and I'm going to make New Japan the strongest wrestling in the world for you, the fans. And it, it was just an unbelievable babyface promo. Uh, so Okada's really good at that, too, but he's not Ric Flair in that regard. But in ring, absolutely off the same class as Ric Flair. And I think, uh, I think a Ricky Steamboat comparison would be very apt for uh, Kenny Omega, especially with even uh, even how his body is shaped. Like he's he's not that dissimilar to how Steamboat was. Very 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 ripped. Um, and Steamboat would wrestle that faster paced style, and Omega's extremely fast paced. So yeah, I think that's a very apt comparison. I think that would it, even outside of that, it, like even if there was no direct comparison between the wrestlers, it, it's certainly the match quality is comparable to what you would get with Flair and Steamboat. The next question is, what is the best show you attended live? So, would it be that one you just mentioned? Yes. Uh, that is easily the best show I've ever seen live, was the Ring of Honor New Japan show at Madison Square Garden. There were some hits or misses, hit or misses on that show, mostly on the ROH end. But, honestly, every match on that Pretty much every match on that card was really good. Um, I did miss uh, a portion of the junior heavyweight match because I had to go get something to drink. Uh, I was unfortunately sick. Because uh, I, I, when you go to a bunch of wrestling shows in a short period of time with a lot of people, colds spread. <laughs> and uh, I got really sick. Um and I was losing my voice, so I needed water. I needed, I needed water or something to drink. And so uh, I uh, I went to get something to drink, and I missed part of the junior heavyweight match. Uh, and me and another guy were both in that similar situation. We were there waiting for our, our drinks to come, uh, our water or our pop. Or, sorry, um, soda to my American friends, but a uh, pop um, to... Uh, to come and he's there on New Japan World on his phone and he has it open and we're both watching it and then we hear the crowd react and three seconds later we see it on his phone <laughs> <laughs> and so everyone will scream in the crowd and then me and him there alone <laughs> but uh, the that was probably the best show I ever saw live for sure and the final question I ask everyone it, it, it's um well, it's a difficult one to answer because you can kind of go at it in many different ways and it's kind of an open-ended question in some respects. But um, if you could change one thing about the business, what would it be? Uh, hmm. I mean, I'd like to see a whole lot less scumbags involved in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I would change that, but in terms of a tip, like just say overall picture, um, for fans, I would like fans to be more open-minded to different wrestling products, whether that's WWE only fans being open-minded to different things, uh, or uh, you know, indie only fans being opening open to like AEW or or even WWE. Sure, because I, you know what, I don't want WWE to fail. I, I, I want them to do really, really well and produce really, really good television because that would make that would make my day because uh, that would be better for everyone. Uh, you know, more, 
if they if they do really really well, the business will ultimately start doing well for everyone. Um, but yeah, be be open to different styles. Don't don't be closed minded that there's one way to do wrestling. There's there's so many different ways to do wrestling. Like I, I watch a variety of, of different styles and products. Uh, I talk about AEW and New Japan and. AEW is very much so more of a, a classic North American style wrestling, but has an 80s style booking. And New Japan is a classic Japanese uh, wrestling promotion, but still applies 80s style Western booking to it as well. Uh, so if, if you're into the, like the territory day stuff, watch AEW and and uh, New Japan. You'd probably be very happy, or even um, even some Joshi promotions like Stardom or whatever. They 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 all have. Uh, or Noah, Pro Wrestling Noah, or All Japan. They they all kind of have that that really old school style storytelling that you probably miss in your wrestling if you're an old school fan. Um, if you if you watch WWE only, give give the indies a chance. Give give the, especially your local promotion. Uh, I know coming out of this pandemic, this pandemic's been really hard on indie wrestling. So when when this pandemic is over. Go to your local wrestling shows. Show support for those guys because you never know who's going to make it on the big stage. Um, and I mean, right here in my town, I help out with my local indie promotion. I I, uh, I help out with their social media. I've worked the camera before them for them before and you know, all that kind of stuff. And I mean, we got some of the best wrestlers in the world here in the Maritimes that no one has ever heard of. Uh, so support, support your local promotions. And uh, as far as promotions themselves go, don't don't be petty. Understand that working together is probably better for everyone. Um, and which is why I'm really excited about what AEW's managed to pull with New Japan and Impact and AAA and who who knows who else will be involved. But. Open those forbidden doors wide open, and let promotions work together, because that's good for everybody. WWE can stand on their own, but everyone else is a lot stronger if they work together. Just as we're sort of wrapping up here, um, before we completely um, close the show, I, I just want to ask you about certain guys that you've seen in your local indies. Anybody we should really be looking out for in particular? So uh, I'm going to point out the. Probably uh, the best place to watch, uh, at least for on an international feel, for uh, some uh, local independent wrestling from here. Um, the my local promotion is called uh, IHW Innovative Hybrid Wrestling, and they are on Fight TV every single one of their shows. Uh, IHW on Fight. Uh, we have a pay per view up there for nine ninety nine Canadian, I think. So it'd be cheaper pretty much everywhere else in the world. Um, like check it out. Uh, the TV shows are free. All the past events are free. Uh, and uh, to bear in mind, it's indie wrestling. It's not going to have WWE or AEW production. Uh, the pay per view did have a little shaky audio at some points, and and the video was lagged in few a few parts because it was our it was the first time a pay per view has ever been done out of our part of Canada. No one has ever done a live a live streamed pay per view. And really, a live stream full show, like we were trying there. Uh, and before the pandemic happened, we were planning to do a second one. Um, 
we still haven't gotten back to running yet. Uh, we were going to do a show in February, but then we had a spike in coronavirus cases, and so we shot everything down. And a spike for here is like 20 cases. So we, we're doing a really good job <laughs> making sure things are shut down. Uh, right now, I think we've had a few days with zero cases, and there's only like maybe 70 active cases in the province, in my entire province, of about 700,000 people. So uh, I live in one of the bigger cities here of about 100, 100, 120,000 people. Uh, but I'm, I appreciate how seriously we're taking this, and hopefully those vaccines will roll out soon so we can get back to wrestling shows. But that show was delayed till March. It's probably going to be delayed again. Uh, because we can't do gatherings larger than um, indoor gatherings larger than 50 people right now. Uh, it allows some churches to meet and stuff like that. That's basically the only reason for it. So we're probably going to have to delay it again, uh, our return. And the, uh, hopefully we'll be able to do our planned pay-per-view by September. It's, um, every year it's September to Remember. That's the name of it. <laughs> uh, uh, I believe. Or September to Surrender. Or something like that. Darn it, I'm I'm botching it. Let me look it up. <laughs> <laughs> but if you go uh, on, if you go onto the Fight TV app, have they got? You say they've got like a weekly show you can watch. Yes, IHW Unstoppable. We haven't had to be able to put up uh, episodes for a while now because of the pandemic, but uh, everything is there. Uh, I just looked it up right now. All the past episodes are there. And then before they did the TV show, they uh, they also had. The, um, all the past monthly events there as well. So it's they they have been doing this uh, now 15, 16 years. They, they've been around since 2005, so it'll be 16 years this year. Uh, one of the longest-running promotions in the Maritimes. Uh, out of Halifax, we have um, uh, Kaizen Pro Wrestling, which is one of our sister promotions, uh, and uh, a few of my friends run that promotion. It's September to Surrender. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 the last one in the pay-per-view, we had Colt Cabana on the show as well. So, And there's a really great match between my friend uh, Chip Chambers and Chris Hicks uh, for the IHW Television Championship, and we had uh, Mike Hughes defending the IHW World Championship against uh, um, Duke McIsaac. So it was a, a very good, very good uh, show to be a part of live. It was very exciting. Uh, so if you want to throw a little money to our way that way, uh, it's only nine ninety nine for the pay-per-view. But you can also watch all our past episodes of TV. Uh, they're there. All Every past episode of show going back to 2005 should be up there. Um, the The archives are a little a little mixed, and so I'm trying – I tried to make a spreadsheet for it, but if you need a guide, just shoot a message to me. For the people who are on Facebook or Twitter who hear this, just shoot me a message, and I'll, I'll guide you to what to watch and recommend matches and shows to you. But, uh, yeah, check out IHW there. Check out Kaizen Pro Wrestling on uh, independentwrestling.tv, so IWTV, a very popular streaming service. Uh, check out their shows. Uh, you're going to see a lot of the same wrestlers between IHW and Kaizen, but uh, Kaizen also likes to bring in... Well, like they had Layla Hirsch from AEW there uh, before she got to AEW. Uh, they've had uh, a whole bunch of other guys come in like that. So 
Uh, and you'll still see some young stars and all that here. Uh, IHW focuses mostly on local. Uh, we do bring in the occasional outside star. But you're going to see a lot of really talented wrestlers who um, are just really, really good at their craft and that no one has ever heard of. That's great. Josiah, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you back on again i'm glad that we got a chance to uh, do this again and actually looking at it i think we actually went longer than the first time so oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah it's been an absolute pleasure and um like i said to every guest on this show obviously there will come a point when i run out of guests for this particular podcast but uh, i have uh, very much uh, intentions to do more podcasts in the future and I- i'd love to have you back on at some point absolutely it would be my pleasure Okay, so for Josiah, I'm David signing off, and I'll be back next week with another Canadian guest. It will be uh, Paul Fontaine joining me. Well, that will be fun. Josiah, thank you very much. Adios.